Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Hey, welcome into Mackie and Judd, the podcast here, part of scorenorth.com. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and the aforementioned website. And gentlemen, how do you feel waking up knowing the order of the Vikings opponents? Feels good on this Friday, doesn't it? It's almost as exciting as the fact that this is an action movie rewind Friday, which is probably the thing I'm most jazzed about today. I got to be honest. I mean, I'm glad the Viking schedule is out and I've got takes and really, really spicy thoughts. But my God, Arnold. So are you serious? I'm going to tell you that I have never. At first, I thought like I've seen Commando just off and on on TV. Yeah. I think I've only seen like gifts of Commando on Twitter. I have. I have never seen Commando until this morning. I have, and I have takes. I have seen it before, but here's the difference: I've seen lots of things, but have I appreciated them? When I watched Commando, Maybe. I had an appreciation. Boy, it is all right. So we're gonna do that anyway. That's what in order. Very excited. The the National Football League schedule out. More excited to talk about Commando. So we're gonna dive into that action movie rewind. Makes its return here. I know it's been as we've talked about all week. It's been a tough week at Score North. Layoffs across the company just due to COVID and the economic impact. And so uh, we're we're picking this up. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, Declan Goff, and we're pushing ahead. If this is the first time you've ducked in and you're wondering what's going on, uh, we're taking the Score North torch and we are running with it as much as we can. Go back and listen to our explanation episode mm-hmm. from Monday on Mackie and Judd. But Mackie and Judd, the podcast, Purple Daily podcast, and YouTube galore at YouTube.com slash Score North. All kinds of Viking stuff. Also, Roycey Unchained is going to continue on. Yes. Roycey on Baseball will continue on. The Scoop with Doogie is going to continue on. And so... We're going to take our, our smaller oh, patch of real estate. Oh, yeah, you're don't forget it. Oh, Come on. on. What the hell? He did it on purpose. He knew he did it. Thanks, Declan. He did it on purpose. Sorry. Thank you, Dex. Wow. Fresh episode yesterday. Pass shoot score. Two Come days on. ago. But uh, Judd threw it out. We, we scrapped so our upsetting. first segment. We had a first segment ready to rock and roll, and Judd said, no, script change. Most sports talking heads make predictions and hope you forget about how wrong they were. But not Mackie and Judd with Rami. This is the big leagues where we own our terrible predictions. Write this down. And keep track of each other's batting averages. Write it down. You like writing things down. It's Write That Down with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Pour one out for Rami. We love him. He said goodbye on Tuesday's episode. All right, Judd. 
What's your brainchild here? Okay, my brainchild is a write that down exclusively devoted to the Vikings 2020 schedule. But of course, last night when the schedule came out and we were doing our um, the three of us, Declan drinking claws, you drinking something of oh, uh, a, it was a foggy morning of a of a what yeah, you, um, you blacked out and had the Vikings like 15 and one. If yeah, I you remember did, last by night. the way. And Phil, you were drinking what last night? I was drinking some sort of like uh, I don't even remember, I don't remember what the name of the brand was. It doesn't you, really matter. But it was some kind of like an old fashioned in a bottle okay. situation. And I, I, of course, as usual, was drinking beer, which explains the uh, sudden weight gain during the um, <clears throat> entire shutdown. Um, my idea was this: let's do a write that down. Let's each throw out three predictions related to the Vikings' twenty twenty schedule, but they're not wins and losses because we've all gone there before. So three things outside. Of wins and losses. It can be individual games. It can be something that's going to happen to games. It can be individuals and something that's going to happen to them. But write three things down that go beyond what happens as far as the victories and defeats. I love this. Writing things down. What do you want to start? You want to lead off? No, no, the, no. These, these are I on think the record. You should by lead the way. off. Let's have Declan go second, and I'll go third. How okay. does that sound? All right. Uh, these are on the record, Declan. Do you have do you have the ability to keep track of these yes. last minute here? Sure. Okay, you are the and you come are the up with three yourself, yeah. young man. All right, I'm still uh, a little confused on what you want. So what what is this? I want three predictions for the write Vikings. Write it down. You like writing things down. 2020 schedule that don't go to wins and losses. So it can be you pick a guy to have a huge game. It can be you pick Got a it. guy to get hurt. It can be you. But you pick said a things that surprise change. you, right? Yeah. So this is. If that if it's things that surprise you, then this is if I could reframe this a home run edition Viking schedule edition of write that down. Well, and it might just not be. It, it might be things that are going to surprise you a bit. That doesn't mean that it has to be off the charts. Oh my god, I can't believe that! I've got two home runs already here. But something, you know what? You can take it in any direction which you so choose. That's the right. beauty of write that down. All right. So these are official. These are official. Just want, this isn't like a practice session of write that down. These go on our record. Yep, you're Declan, being into the fire. Declan's first week and write that down. He's going to have six predictions on his. Write this down. Hand. All right, I'll start us off. Write this down. The Vikings play Teddy Bridgewater and the Carolina Panthers week 12, Sunday, November 29th. Write this down. Teddy Bridgewater will be sacked at least five times in that game at U.S. Bank Stadium. That's a, that's a good one. See, that's exactly what we're looking for All here. Right. Write it down. You like writing things down. Write that down. <laughs> I'd say might get hurt too, which would have been really that, okay. Can that I be would honest? have been classless. That was my first prediction, and I thought that that's probably a little bit over the top and classless. So okay, my turn. <laughs> yes, it is. Write this down. Irv Smith will catch the first touchdown pass from Kirk Cousins. Okay. Right. Of of twenty twenty, possibly against. I mean, if it's not against the Packers in Week One, yeah. that means that they probably Could lose be week that game. Two, three, four. So five. you purposely skirted it. Yeah. Wow, yep. that's a veteran move right there. I don't really appreciate it, but it's a veteran move. It is. Write it I down. You like it, writing things down? Have you ever made how many write that down predictions before this week? Have you made in your, in your um, career? I would say maybe probably a dozen. Okay, a dozen or so. Did you did you ever make them your first stint as a producer when you were a part timer back in the day? I feel like I did. The only, you know, the first stint of the producing was just the epic wrecking of Game Show Friday that stands out the most. So I, I don't really, everything else kind of was blacked out from that. That's a tough one to produce, by the way. Game, Game Show, Show Friday, Friday was not an easy assignment for any producer. Now that you're back, we might have to mix it in no. again. <laughs> I will leave. <laughs> I love, you I know what? Go away. The, the people love Game Show Friday. They do. That's Write cool. it down. You like writing things down. All right. Over to Judd. All right. I will give a specific one, and it's like Declan's, but I'm going to say that this is in week one against the Packers. 
Um, as the Packers playing the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium do their damnedest to take away the Irv Smiths of the world and Adam Thielen's J.J., Justin Jefferson will catch two touchdown passes in week one. Oh, wow. Justin Jefferson's going to get off to a great Ooh. start, and he is going to be, I don't want to say ignored by the Packers, but I think he's going to step in. I think he's going to play pretty well, and he's going to catch two touchdown passes in what I've already predicted is going to be a Viking victory in week one, hand over the purple Kool-Aid. All right. Write this down. So I also am drinking Justin Jefferson Kool-Aid. I think that dude's going to be... At, at worst, a rock-solid NFL wide receiver. And at best, I think he's going to be a star. Write it down. You like writing things down. I don't know if he will be a Randy Moss-level star. However. That's fair. Yes, I would agree with you. The Vikings play the Dallas Cowboys the week heading into Thanksgiving on Sunday, November 22nd. That game is going to be uh, a 325 national window on Fox. So mm-hmm. not on Thanksgiving Day, but a few days beforehand. Thanksgiving week, let's call it. It'll be at U.S. Bank Stadium. And Justin Jefferson will have a Randy Moss-like breakout against the Dallas Cowboys. Whoa! Justin Jefferson will score three touchdowns or more against the Cowboys 22 years later in that game on Thanksgiving. Wow. Write it down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Three touchdowns. I don't have a pencil. Well, remember that. I thought I was. Three touchdowns or more. Oh, boy. All right. Because if he scores four, I'm not getting cheated out of this point. Yeah, no. You're good. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, he's Sorry, Billy had five. All right, my next one. <laughs> Sticking with the rookies here. Jeff Gladney will have the first pick six for the Vikings this season. He will have the Write first it down. You like pick writing six things down. for the Vikings. Care to give me a game? Also implying, by the way, that the Vikings will have multiple pick sixes in 2020. Yeah, they could. It's kind of a parlay. Care, care to give me a game? No. You're just gonna, it's going to be the first one. I'm not going to give you the game. Nope, 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 nope. Darn it. Darn it. There's a couple candidates early. I'm looking at you, Philip Rivers, week two at oh, Indianapolis. Love it. <laughs> oh, boy. Probably going to happen. Write it down. You like writing things down. All right, back to Judd. All right, my second one, I'm going to remain on, I guess, what you could consider a positive track before uh, finishing this up with a negative. The Vikings game on Sunday, December 20th, is scheduled to be a noon kickoff on Fox against the Chicago Bears. It's going to be with three games left. And in the schedule that we predicted last night, boys, I had the Vikings going into that game having beaten the Panthers and Jaguars at home and then Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on the road. So the Vikings will be hot. As of right now, the Vikings only have two primetime kickoffs, and they've got uh, what are considered three premium games because you throw in the Christmas Day game against the Saints. Well... As a result, this December 20th game, in a division that I think the Vikings can win, and I certainly don't think there's going to be one team that's going to be just unbelievably great, this game is going to be flexed into a primetime start. The Bears on December 20th will be an NBC Sunday night game because the Vikings, I'm sorry, but two primetime games seems ridiculously low. It does. Like, like I get I get they're calling the Saints because that's a standalone Christmas Day game, a premium game, so I completely get that. But you're telling me, with with the amount of teams that have uh, five, and in the Cowboys' case, six premium games, that the Vikings are only worthy of three? Like, that's ordinarily... And I get the Vikings aren't aren't super sexy, but, eh, but, but they're, come they're, on. They're, they're sexier than I think you're giving them credit for. No, they for. probably are. And, and the thing about it is, if you look at their division, are you really telling me that, like, you think they're going to be next to Detroit? Yeah, like the, the, I just don't see that. Listen, the Vikings are definitely less sexy without one of the best wide receivers in the NFL in Stefan Diggs. And some of the players that they've lost, like I think their defense was sexier two or three years ago when it was just the best defense in the NFL, right? 
So like the Ravens, yeah. the Ravens made primetime no. games for years with boring yeah. offenses because they had the best. They had Ray Lewis and they had the Ed Reed. But I, I just think two primetime games is low. I'm with you on this one, and they have an opportunity. But but then again, there's only like two real opportunities late in the season. The Tampa Bay game and the Chicago game are probably the only two because New Orleans is already a special Christmas game. Yep. Uh, that at Detroit game only gets flexed if Detroit is also in yeah. the mix for a playoff spot. I think, that Bear, I think that Bears game, because the Buccaneers right now are at five primetime games, I think that Bears game is a very logical one to uh, to be flexed. And I think that game, I don't love Chicago, but I'm not going to be absolutely shocked if that game's important to the division. So we can't count the Saints game as a primetime game. It's a, it, it, it's a national TV game, yes. and it, it, that I guess technically that is kind of a primetime game because it's going to be the only game on at that I time. I ask this because I said there'd be three primetime games the schedule release on the right that down on Wednesday. No, it's not a primetime game. The it's Vikings, a 3 game. The mm. Vikings internally are calling it a premium game, so they're counting it as oh, far as their premium, premium games. But it's, okay. not, but it's not a primetime game, dude, because it starts, unfortunately, you know what? If it kicked at 6 o'clock... I'd say, Dex, you get the point. But write that down as a brutal experience, which treats and teaches young people what life can be like, and you just learned a really valuable well, lesson. Two got, two got written off already in the 48 hours I made my first write that down, so I'm ready to go for two. Yeah, and so, I'm just just to, well. just to Google here, just real quick, I just I am Googling primetime TV window, and no, it's not. it is commonly defined as 8 to 11 p.m. Okay. Eastern time. And next year, if you use the word premium, you get the point. Take your lumps, young lad. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. All right. Is it my turn now? Yes. yes it's our final round here. Yes, final sir. prediction. Final round. All right. Yes, sir. All right. Write this down. The Vikings have two games against the Packers, as usual, week one, and then week eight coming out of the bye. Plenty of time to prep for both. Write this down. Daniil Hunter, at some point this season, will sack Jordan Love. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but single, but I like it. No, oh, Jordan Love. Jordan no, Love. Said Jordan I Love. No, write it guy. down. You like writing Riders things down. Brain. No, it's Riders damn near down. a home Riders run. Damn near a home run. Yeah, that is a good one. It's a parlay. It's Jordan. Jordan Love <laughs> will play. Oh my gosh! And Daniel Hunter will sack him. You purposely buried the lead. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Back to Declan. All right, my final one. Go. I'm going for a big swing here. The Vikings will not lose a divisional road game this season. They will beat Whoa. Green Bay at Lambeau. They will beat Chicago at Soldier Field. Wow. They will That's beat Detroit at Ford Field. The Ford Field one is a single, but Lambeau no, and no, Soldier Field. No, but as a whole, a, not a single. That's a home run. That I is a home run. Okay, well, the whole, the whole thing's a home run. When but, is the last time they did that? 1998? Great question. The last time they beat all three of those teams. They lost to the Bears in 09. And in 98, technically, if you're talking about like winning all your division games, they did lose a road division game in 1998 because the Buccaneers were in their division. They they went at Detroit a few years ago because I I was going back through the schedules last night, and I know I'm a loser. But anyway, (laughs) beside the point, um, they beat... Can you repeat that whole sentence again? I said I was going back through the Vikings' old schedules last night and... Football. I am a loser. Also, if you couldn't tell, the, we have the button bar back today. Yeah, so I've never seen Phil this happy. A little, little bit of a... Come on! Football! A little bit of a, an So if, if we, we were to do an impromptu rank them right now, happiest days of Phil's life, button bar back, then maybe the marriage. <laughs> or, or is it button bar back, something to do with the twins, and then the marriage? Game 163, button bar back, game 163. And, and a then, WrestleMania. 
the WrestleMania I soloed in Miami in 2012. Okay, then, and the, then marriage? the marriage. Well, and let's yeah. not forget the night that young Phil ran into his mom's room because uh, Ron something was selling baseball. Don, Don West. Don West was selling They're baseball. They're called wax boxes. Okay, so now the marriage is fifth. <laughs> I put the marriage above that night, but it's that that night's top ten. You talk about sure. that night more. <laughs> By the way, fact checking: the last time the Vikings did that, 2015. They oh, won that's all three say, divisional road games in 2015. Interesting. Okay. Wow. 2015. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs in 2015. No, did they, they did. That was the infamous. That was Blair that was Walsh. the Walsh. Walsh. Yeah, okay. that was 11 and five. It feels like, and it's not fair, but it feels like they've lost at Soldier Field for about 15 consecutive years. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think it's Just, only like once or twice since I've been born. And the crappier the Bears are, the more likely it is the Vikings will lose at Soldier. They Field. lost to Chase Daniel for God's sake. So yeah, it's it's that's a home run by me. So so Judd, have you made your? You haven't made your. I've not made my third one. Write this down. Yeah. Write this down. Sean Mannion will start at least two games for the Vikings. Not because, and it won't be week 17 that the Vikings have it clinched like they did last year. Sean Mannion will start two games in place of Kirk Cousins because of Cousins and injury. And here's why I think that. Wow. Okay. So just, just to clarify, if Cousins gets benched because he's playing bad. Yeah, no, that doesn't count. Cause I, I don't start. think he will. He I, has I, to start. Yeah. Um, and here's why I say that. Kirk Cousins became Washington's starting quarterback in 2015, okay? His last three years then, through 2017 in Washington, he started all 16 games. With the Vikings in his first year in 2018, I'm sorry, he started all 16 games. 2019, last season, he started 15 of the 16 games, did not start against the Bears in Week 17 because the whole thing was wrapped up. In other words, since 2015, Kirk Cousins has never missed a game yeah. because of injury. That's um, that's laudable and good for him, but I don't think it's realistic to think a guy who plays as much as Kirk Cousins does is never going to get hurt. I think Sean Mannion makes at least two starts for the Vikings because of injury to Kirk Cousins. And you know what's amazing about Cousins, and this probably warrants us carving out extra time either on Mackey and Judd or Purple Daily just to go over kind of the state of Kirk Cousins. With him playing every single game, like you just said, and with him just being a steady, rock-solid, good fantasy number quarterback, he can, and older guys come off the board, you know, Tom Brady is going to come off the board at some point, and Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger, like Phillip Rivers, there's this old guard of quarterbacks. You know, The more he plays every game and the more he's just dependable and, and solid, not a superstar, the more he continues to move up. I mean, we did yesterday on Purple Daily – and another cheap plug for uh, YouTube.com slash score north. We all had him solidly as a top 10 quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's an interesting dynamic. He's a top 10 quarterback that has a couple glaring flaws that definitely prevent you from being what you want to be. He's as a around team, 10, but right? He's like, he's probably between like seven and 10 right now, there, there depending are, on what Tua turns into. There, and Joe Burrow. There is a dearth, and it, it's just the reality of things. But for what's required athletically of that position, you know, there's only like what five great ones. It, it to me is there are um, quarterbacks, starting pitchers who are aces because every team, and we've talked about this in regards to Barrios a thousand times before. Every team does not have an ace, and in hockey, I liken it to centers who are you know clear cut number one guys. Every team does not have one, mm-hmm. and so I think. It's not a rip on Cousins. It's the reality of the position he plays, at which he is a very competent player. But is he a great one who, who you would choose to be your Super Bowl quarterback? No, he's not. Yeah. 
So there it is. Write it down. You like writing things down. A little impromptu write that down session. Ordinarily heard on Wednesdays here on Mackie and Judd. And if you're interested in being a guest listener participant, shoot me a DM just at Phil Mackey on Twitter and we'll get you on the schedule for sometime either later this month or, or sometime in June. Speaking of dependable and speaking of durable, Federated Mutual Insurance Company, gentlemen, is here to help business owners in the state of Minnesota. If you're a business owner right now, Federated wants to thank you. You are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And when you need Federated, Federated is here to help. They're based in Owatonna, Minnesota. Over 100 years of experience in helping business owners through, think about over those 100 years, all the different things that have that have happened in our country and all the different things the business owners have had to overcome and just how many times Federated has helped guide those businesses through turmoil. And these last 60 days or so with this pandemic, it's just the latest example of turbulence. And so when you go to federatedinsurance.com, or you call your local marketing representative at Federated, you get access to trusted resources that can help you during this time. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Again, the schedule, it's business as usual, just like the off-season has been business as usual. We've seen free agency happen without the visits. We've seen the virtual off-season program begin without on-field work. We've seen the draft unfold virtually, and the schedule is ready to unfold in the regular season the way the league wants it to, knowing that it could have to pivot off it, but not thinking right now it will. But if it has to, Super Bowl 55 looms as the key date to watch. Okay, can I say one thing to Adam Schefter. He was running out of air there at the end of those sentences. Oh, yeah. Take a breath. Take a breath there, Schefter. There's a lot to get uh, out in a short time, man. There was. It's a lot of information. He also posted an article on ESPN.com just sort of explain. So we started our podcast yesterday with John Clayton's report that speculated four AFC-NFC games out of the gate so the NFL could just hit the eject button on those four games if needed and then you know, play a 12-game schedule. John Clayton was 75% right at least according to the Viking schedule. Is this is this the way it is across the board, where you have a division opponent in week one, and then the Vikings have three AFC teams weeks two, three, and four? So in theory, you could, you could hit the eject button on the first four weeks of the season, lose three of those AFC games, move the division game until later. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like the bailout that the league ended up creating that sort of went against what uh, John had reported was that the bailout is they can easily start your season in what would be week uh, five and then move those first four games back and subsequently, if this makes sense, turn those into weeks 18, 18 through 21. Okay. So they wouldn't get they wouldn't bail on those games. They'd still play them, but they would back end them. And that the Super Bowl date is, is flexible enough that, from what Schefter said, the Super Bowl could be moved by like a month and a half, two months. So a springtime Super Bowl. Yeah, so here's the quote from, let's see, Rob Higgins, president and CEO of the Tampa Bay Super Bowl host committee. We're totally focused on on February 7th with the regular season kicking off as scheduled. If adjustments need to take place, we would be prepared to do that, but we haven't been instructed to do that whatsoever. So they could push the Super Bowl back into March. Um, overall, the Vikings schedule just, and, and we we dove into this a little bit in our uh, in our video stream last night, I don't think the Vikings could have spread out the difficulties of this schedule better. You know, they have they have a handful of Hall of Fame quarterbacks on this list. You never play any of them back-to-back. 
you, you only have two stretches of this schedule where you play back-to-back road games, and one of them is Week 16, 17, and Week 17, that might not even matter. Right. So in the, in the teeth of your schedule, you only have one back-to-back road-road situation, and then when you need it most as you're going into the you're, – you're, you're past your bye, you're going into the stretch run of your season, and you get three straight home games – in the last two weeks in November and the first week in December. And so if the schedule holds and the NFL doesn't have to, you know, take the first four games and shove them to the back end, and even if you're playing in front of no fans, this schedule stacks up really nicely for the Vikings. Agreed completely. The only thing that I would have potentially feared if I was the Vikings, or among the things I should say, not the only thing, the fear would have been a potential three-game road trip, but you don't get that. And, in fact, they flipped it. And from November 22nd, Phil, through December 6th, you get Dallas, Carolina, and Jacksonville at home for a three-game homestand, which is fantastic. You should be favored in at least two of those games. Yeah, and I think you probably lose to Dallas, but I don't. as much as we like Teddy, I don't think Carolina is really going to be that good necessarily, and Jacksonville, I'm almost certain, won't be good. And and if you were to ask me, would you rather get a, a mad Tom Brady in, let's say, September or December? I'm taking December. Because who knows there? And he's 43, and now he's got, what, four games left in his season by the time that the Vikings arrive. Not to mention the fact that there's an argument to be made that if the Vikings' defense is going to gel, it's certainly not going to be in September and October. It's going to be towards the back end. So, yeah, I think this schedule very easily could have been formatted where I probably would have said nine, nine wins or eight wins. And I came away with 10 wins because I'm with you. I think the schedule, it's not that it's easy, but the way that it's structured, at least right now, to me, if you're the Vikings, is pretty workable. Meanwhile, on the other side of the border, the Green Bay Packers schedule, have you guys done a dive into the Green Bay Packers' first half of their schedule yet? Because I'll I'll throw it out there, too. It's tough. It is brutal. What's the league doing? I mean, this isn't fair. The league's supposed to help the Packers. We all know that. (laughs) Dude, first of all, they get an early bye. So their bye week is after the f- fourth game. They have a week five bye week. It's a terrible bye. And then they have to play out the rest of their season. Uh, you know, Again, this could all get flipped on its head. They do have five primetime games right now without even flexing. Uh, like the Chicago game in week 17 could get flexed. There's a, there's a couple other games in there too, like Carolina, who knows. But they have five primetime games. So here is the first eight games on the Packers schedule. All right. At Minnesota to start with, which... I think the Vikings are three point favorites. I saw that makes sense. We already saw that makes yeah uh, sportsbooks putting putting lines out. I can see that. And you get a home game against Detroit, which you should win at New Orleans in prime time in Week Three. Mm-hmm. Really difficult game. Home on Monday night against the Falcons, which they should be favored in that game. But you know that's Matt Ryan, and that's they've got weapons on offense there. Then you get a bye week, and look at these four games coming out of the bye week for the Packers at Tom Brady and Tampa Bay in Week Six. At Deshaun Watson, week seven, home against the Vikings again, and then at San Francisco on a short week flying across the country for a Thursday night game in week nine. Pack a lunch. Holy cow. If I'm the Packers, I am leaving the National Football League today. <laughs> I'm forming my own league. This is a bunch of garbage. I mean, and then yeah. even like the the back half, they've got two games against Chicago, which I don't think either one of those are gimmies in your division. You got a home game against the Eagles, which is not going to be a pushover. And then that game against Tennessee in week 16, I think we all think Tennessee might take a step back, but that is not going to be an easy game in prime time. So boy, when you look at it, it, it is amazing how things stack up. Like 
if you spread this schedule out and give the Packers a couple more easier games early, you might say, okay, build some momentum, give yourself some cushion. Mm-hmm. But when you have out of your bye week, when you have at Tampa, at Houston, home against the Vikings, and at San Francisco, it is possible they are underdogs in all four of those games. So that that is that is why the layout of your schedule matters so much. And the Vikings got lucky with their layout. The Packers get smoked in the first half of their season. Do we think San Francisco is going to be as good as they were in 2019? Or it, 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 to me, it all depends on Jimmy Garoppolo. Does Garoppolo take a step forward? Is is he driving the car more as opposed to just being a passenger and not trying to make a mistake? I can't decide on that one yet. Though I mean, he was he had some fourth quarter comebacks the yeah. last year, so. and I liked them. But a year ago, I liked the Rams too. There's just always going to be teams on the back half, the second half of your schedule. There's going to be one, if not two, teams that pop up, and right now. We look at that team and like, oh, that team's not good. And then there's going to be one or two teams that we think, oh, man, that's a tough matchup. And it ends up not being San Francisco strikes me a little bit like Seattle nine, ten years ago, where they now Garoppolo isn't quite the dynamic quarterback that Russell Wilson has been. But when you get front office and coach right and you build a roster and a defense right and then you have a competent quarterback or in Seattle's case, someone that became one of the best quarterbacks on the planet. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do foresee sustained success for San Francisco, and really the only big question mark is how good is Garoppolo? Is he is he, is he he along for the ride as the 15th best quarterback in the league, or is he a guy that jumps up and, and takes some steps like Tom Brady did early in, in his New England days? So the Vikings and Packers both have this team on the second half of their schedule. The Vikings have uh, Carolina in Week 12 and the Packers in Week 15. Am I right in thinking that the Panthers don't scare me that – that much because that this also strikes me as one where I can easily sit here in May and be like, ah, it's the Panthers and Bridgewater's good. I like him, but uh, but they do have McCaffrey. Yeah, I McCaffrey's can't decide ridiculous. on I can't decide on Matt Rule as their coach yet. Uh, they drafted, I think, in the draft all defense. That could be one where I'm completely wrong, and they actually are better than I think they're going to be. The, honestly, Carolina could go four and twelve or twelve and four, and neither record would shock me because yep. Teddy Bridgewater could be a franchise quarterback, or he could be rusty and get injured. Matt Rule could be the next young star quarterback that jumps in from college, or he could be a disaster and never connects with the locker room. Like, there's so many questions about Carolina. So that. That's a game that I think you just sort of put off to the side when you're trying to predict wins and losses and say, I mean, I don't know. I think the Vikings are going right to win that I'm game. Right now I'm cocky but... about it. Right <laughs> yeah, now I'm super cocky. I have I'm like, no I, idea I don't know that good. <laughs> so there it is. Vikings and Packers. I'll take the Vikings layout better than the Packers layout. Uh, last thing off this. What do you think is going to be the league's mandate to start? And I guess I asked that question because we don't know this yet. But do you think they'll be completely comfortable starting in week one with no fans? Or if they have an inkling that they might be able to get fans, let's say, by what's week five, which for the Vikings is October 11th, Sunday night game at Seattle, that they would flip those four games for every team to the back end and actually wait that thing out to try and start the season with fans? Well, right now, I just saw something come across uh, my timeline that the governor of Oregon is, and this was in regards to college football, the governor of Oregon is saying, Prepare September as if you don't have anyone in stadiums. So th- this is the problem. Different states are going to have different. They're going to have different philosophies on what you should do, and and different states are just going to be flat out in different places on this curve, right? Like New, like New York already peaked 
several weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You had at one point you had like 900 people dying per day in New York, and now it's down down to like 200 or 250. Mm-hmm. But by the time New York is free and clear and has herd immunity, maybe they can put people in stadiums. But then what happens in St. Louis? And do you or, allow well, St. that? St. Louis is a bad example because they don't have a football team. But I don't know. I don't know what Los you do. Angeles, for instance, though. Like, do you allow that? And and plus, you, my first thought when I saw that the Vikings, it was reported yesterday before the schedules came out that the Vikings were going to open against the Packers on September thirteenth mm-hmm. at home. Is do you do you play that game with no fans for a Vikings rivalry game against the team that probably is considered their biggest, or not probably is considered their biggest rival? But then by the time we get to Sunday, November first, and they're at Green Bay, do you then be like, oh, but fans are allowed in Lambeau because yeah, it's. I'm sorry if I'm a team, I'm PO'd about that. But there, but it might just be. But I listen, might. This is the stuck. one, the one year in the history of football that you're just you. You might have to play an imbalanced schedule in terms of fans in the stadium. My question is going to be: What does the league consider to be the right conditions to kick off? Like, are they just if they can start on on September 13th and players can start? Do they just say screw it, we're starting? Or is it a little bit more of a slippery slope than that? And they say, you know what, bleep it, let's flip all of September to the back end of our schedule. Like, you guys, knowing what we know about how Governor Tim Wallace has handled this to this point, he's in, like, Minnesota has been way out in front in terms of, and, and really, like, I think there is a debate to be had about whether we should be opening things back up, and that's for a separate discussion. But based on how Governor Tim Wallace has handled this and the state of Minnesota so far, I don't foresee... 60-plus thousand fans inside U.S. Bank Stadium on September 13th. I just, I don't... I don't either. I don't know if I see 60,000 fans inside any stadium in 2020. Could they come up with a plan that allows 10,000 people in a stadium and everyone has to sit, you know, five or six seats apart or something? I just don't see it on September 13th. Is that worth it, too? Probably, Like, if it's 10,000... If you're going to play the game anyways, it's worth it. I think so. But you'd have to have more people in the stadium than for security purposes. I mean, this could be the ultimate test of, and I, I wouldn't be against this, the concept of studio football for the pros. College, I, it's a totally different conversation. But the concept of studio football, I mean, the National Football League is a great studio game. You know who benefits the most from studio football besides Kirk Cousins? We'll talk about that at some point, too. <laughs> Kickers. Kickers. I think the the thing the thing that psychs out kickers the most yeah. and bring back Blair Walsh is fans and pressure and noise and atmosphere and your heart's racing and you're trying to you know how many times have you guys watched a Vikings training camp practice or any team training camp practice or preseason right mm-hmm. preseason actually there can be pressure too if there's a competition like there's just built in pressure but training but camp practice those guys do those guys nail fifty five yarders yeah. with their eyes closed in training camp because there's there's no pressure. Now, there's there's pressure because you're playing a game, but when there's not 60,000 people breathing down your neck, or even when it's your home fans, like, you don't want to let down, oh, my God, like, everyone's staring at me right now. Well, there is, it yeah, makes their job pressure. easier. But this is, that is the only sport at which I can tell you unequivocally, if I didn't have, if I didn't work those games, I would never go to a Vikings game. It's better on TV. I agree. Like Twins games, Target Field, I'm always going if I have mm-hmm. a choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Hockey, it's not even close. And yep. ba- basketball, but it's still, but the National Football League on TV, come on, let's be yeah. honest about it. I will frequently go to go for tailgates and then go watch the game either at a bar or just go back home and like watch watch the game on TV. That's because you're sauced by that. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> I get kicked out of the stadium. You and all that, those small glasses you drink. You guys ready for yes. 
Action Movie Rewind? Oh, I'm jacked. I'm juiced. So. Are you as jacked and juiced as Arnold Schwarzenegger was? Obviously, same body type. Jenny. 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 Young Alyssa Milano. Yeah, he didn't know that was Alyssa Milano. (laughs) Very, very young Alyssa Milano. Well, we'll get there in just a second here after we thank one of our partners here, Luther Brookdale Toyota on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, where they have come up with safeguarding plans for you, the customer, and for their team members. You can shop their entire inventory right now from home, chat online with their sales team, and schedule a test drive where they will bring the vehicle to you. They also have announced some great deals, including 90 days deferred payment on both new and used vehicles to give you just a little bit more of a cushion, and 0% financing on 2020 Camrys, RAV4s, and Tacomas. If you need service on your vehicle, Luther Brookdale Toyota has set up a no-contact system, including electronic checkout, again, to keep you safe. And if you don't even need anything right now, that's okay. My friends, Paula, Steve, Ron, everybody on the team there on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard just wants you and your family to stay safe so we can all get through this thing happy and healthy together. Thank you from our friends at Luther Brookdale Toyota. Yes, welcome in to Action Movie Rewind here with Mackie and Judd, our friend Declan on the keyboards over there. We have to this point with our old friends Rami and Jonathan. Declan, this will be your first Action Movie Rewind with us. Are you ready for this? I am. I'm very I'm very excited. We have to this point reviewed Bloodsport, Hard to Kill, Con Air, Point Break, and Air Force One. And now we dive into Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Alyssa Milano. This is the plot summary, gentlemen. And a dead mother who we don't know what happened yeah. to her. No, there was no explanation. It's just not important to them. Was she dead? Did they say she was Get to dead? the summary, and then I'll tell you, you why. You get to the and summary. Then, and then why the I think it's so important. You get to the chopper. That's so oh, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Thought chance. <laughs> All right. Colonel Matrix, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger, is retired and living peaceably with his 10-year-old daughter, who is Alyssa Milano. When she is kidnapped by the henchmen of an exiled Latin American dictator, the dictator's plan is to reinstate himself in power by eliminating the president of his country using Colonel Matrix to kill him. Or if Colonel Matrix doesn't pull off this hit, then he will kill Colonel Matrix's daughter. Matrix escapes from the plane that is supposed to be carrying him to his mission and then proceeds to go from one violent confrontation to the next as he hunts down the dictator and moves to rescue his daughter. Helping him is a woman named Cindy, who has her own reasons for wanting the dictator dead. Gentlemen, this movie was a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, a healthy 71%. Let's start with Judd. We'll go around the room here. Your favorite part of Commando. Well, hold on a second. That's impossible. to. I can't give you a favorite part because there's so many favorite parts. Um... My favorite part of Commando. Okay, outside of the fact that there are are questions that are not answered and they just don't care, I'm going to give you an overarching theme here, okay? Okay. So I'm not, because I've got parts as well, but I think that there's something, if you were teaching um, an action movie rewind class in college, like a professor, and a kid was to say, geez, what should I, how can I do this the best way possible? That's my calling, by the way. um, This is, to me... My favorite part. There's no BS. 
like they they don't answer questions. They don't care about um, they don't care about tying up loose ends. I mean, think about this. These the guys who are working for this dictator eliminate the guys from Matrix's uh, team that, that he had worked with. And they never answer why that's important. Yeah. They just blow they them away them. in glorious different yeah. fashion. I will say there was one brief moment where they kind of alluded to. I'll get to that in a okay, little bit. Okay, but anyway, my point is, my point is, since we've started this exercise, what was our first film again? Bloodsport. Okay, since we started this, and I actually like this about Bloodsport as well. Now, I don't think Bloodsport can right hold to a it, candle baby. to uh, Commando. But when you look at the running time, right? Because the running time, you don't want to see two something. No, an hour and a half is the sweet Perfect. spot for these. Exactly. Hour and a half, baby. I looked just at give, the running give time. Some, give me some ammunition. I hit play, and I was instantly, instantly smitten with the amount of bullets that I saw flying. Yes. So that was my favorite part, takeaway. No BS, no garbage, just nothing but death and Arnold. So my favorite part of the movie is very similar to Judd's, which is the opening sequence. I love, like, the first five minutes of this movie, unbelievable. So you get the dictator's henchmen start off by uh, posing as garbage truck drivers and murdering (laughs) what we found out later was one of the guys from Arnold's old uh, military team. They murder the guy right out of the gate. So he comes out, he sees the garbage truck, and he's like, oh, I, I didn't know it was garbage day. Grabs the garbage, like, I'm runs glad it I, down the I'm drive. glad I ca- caught you guys. And these guys just step off the back of the garbage truck, grab a couple Uzis. They grab a couple, like, AK-47s or something. Yes. They shoot this guy up and down. Yes. This is the first 30 seconds of the movie. The guy is lying down completely dead and decimated. He walks up again and fires, like, three more seconds yeah. worth of rounds up and down his dead body. Just ridiculously violent, all right? <laughs> then... They go over to the car dealership, one of the henchmen, and he's sitting in a Cadillac, and he's he's talking with the car dealership guy, and uh, and instead of uh, like he just he just drives it through the glass of the showroom, and before he drives it through the glass, he says, "There's like a hundred great lines in this movie, by the way." He says, "You know what I like best about this car? The price." And then he hits the gas and drives out the showroom. And by the way, he rolls the guy up on his hood. I don't think that would really kill you. I mean, the previous guy hurt, just got yeah. riddled uh, your legs with be in 87 shambles. bullets, and this guy just sort of got <laughs> rolled up by a car that's really not going that fast. I like how he's trying to jive with him, too, and talk like him. Yeah. The salesman. Hey, you, like, got, you like this you car. Like this don't this you, guy, you then, like, in the third minute of the movie, they blow, <laughs> you know what, up, they blow up a boat, and then we get straight into the close-up shots of jacked-up Arnold, have some sort of a montage scene with his daughter, Alyssa Milano, and how they're living this great life and exclusivity Can we in talk the about the boat somewhere? blow up, though? So this guy is going to get on his boat. He looks back and sees these menacing men, right? And he thinks nothing of it and still gets on his, his boat. And one of the menacing men has what clearly is, and by the way, this is the greatest, a 1980s bomb kit. Like it's from a Bond movie or something. Like yeah. what else would you have that for? Now, now it it would be for different things potentially. But back then, it was only to do one thing: blow something up. And I love how he just—he's supposed to be an army veteran, right? And he just looks at these guys and like, "Hey, yeah. what's going on?" But wasn't correct me if I'm wrong on this one. But wasn't Bennett? Bennett's like the main bad guy here next yes. to the chair. Wasn't Bennett the guy on the boat? And they faked his death so that he could join up? No, 
No, I thought the main guy on the boat was the third guy because okay. he was smaller from from Matrix's band of brothers who he had fought with. But again, I might need a second tour through this movie again, just to get all kill, the intricacies. They kill these guys. His name's Matrix. They're all wiped out, and yet I never really get an explanation of why you had to Dude. kill them uh, to get to Matrix or what it mattered if they were dead. I mean, they were all perfectly suburbanite type of guys by now. Yeah, you well, wanted Matrix. Yeah, well, we'll, okay. Well, but they needed they needed some motivation to draw Matrix out of his exclusivity. That, yeah, but they took his kid. So, all right, but we'll get to some of the Declan, your favorite part of Commando. Favorite part, uh, there's a couple. All the scenes with Sully. Sully is such a love scumbag. He's one of the henchmen. Yeah, yeah. he is he's just a such a scumbag, and I love it so much. He's a little guy. Hey, Matrix. And Dude. the one part that really just made me LOL was when the you know the the general comes with the helicopter to warn them, like, hey, this is about to go down. And right as he leaves, you know that the henchmen start shooting off the two two uh, soldiers, and he goes, "Make sure you shoot downwind, because I can smell them. You yeah. can smell them." <laughs> What? I literally burst Dude, it out into laughter. That whole scene right there was amazing. So so Arnold is is laying next to the guy who got like basically uh Arnold's old colonel comes flying in, warns him that there are yep. the hey, these guys are after you, they've already killed three of your men. So I'm gonna leave a couple of army rangers just to like stake out at your house. Yep. All right, so just just be careful, like we're gonna put a couple army rangers here. Colonel leaves, and within ten seconds, there's someone in the bu- in the bushes, just like murdering the army rangers. So, army ranger guy, as Declan explains, is all shot up. He's bleeding out. He's laying down, and Arnold lays next to him as if they're both like fully capable, <laughs> right? And says, uh, you know, says something like, "You keep a lookout." He's like, "This guy's like bleeding out. You keep a lookout. I can smell them down the wind. Like you can smell but the them." Question yes, I've got is, is, you couldn't is so. Matrix is this, you know, hero of war, right? One of the great soldiers, Green Berets, or I eat Green Berets for lunch. And the guys that they bring, the Army Rangers they bring to his house, like, must be the most incompetent Army Ranger goofballs from Hogan's heroes of all time. How they just stand there like, oh! I would say the, the general level of incompetence among everyone who isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie it's is marvelous. stunning. But Declan hit on something. And I, I think we need to spend at least part of this segment breaking down the acting and how the guy who played Sully did not win an Oscar. Okay, so this guy, can you look this guy up? Yeah. I feel like this guy's been in a couple other things. David Patrick Kelly is his name. Yep. Okay, <laughs> go pull up that guy's fact, IMDb. We should get him on. So the opening sequence, when we finally when we finally catch our first glimpse of henchman Sully hitting on the flight attendant, right? So he sees Arnold Schwarzenegger off onto this commercial flight, by the way, in which... Arnold snaps the neck very quietly of the henchman next to him. On I this also, plane. I he's also dead tired. The guy to sleep. Don't bother my friend. He's, he's dead, dead tired. tired. Yes. So, so creepy henchman Sully walks up, yep. and this woman Cindy, who becomes part of the rest of the movie, right? She's on the phone clearly with like a husband or somebody. Like she's on the phone with a guy. Yep. And uh, Sully comes walking up and says, "Hey, you look like you need a date. I bet a lot of pretty girls like you meet guys at the airport." <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And she tells him he's a creep. So logically, he follows her out of the airport and into the parking lot and says, walks right up to her next to her car. Can you imagine this happening in real life and how terrifying it would be? And he says, hey, I've got something I'd like to give you. Yes. <laughs> like what? And by, by the way, they both have these great little sports cars. Yeah. Like she's One got this a Porsche. fantastic yeah. sports car. So 
Let's talk about the fact that when Matrix is on the plane, okay, he's in first class. They haven't taken off yet. So people are milling about and milling around that he has time to then elbow and knock out and break the neck of the guy who's supposed to be his uh, chaperone to this uh, place where he has um, been ordered to kill. No one sees it. Nobody sees it. Nobody pays attention. Matrix then takes the blanket, could I have a blanket, and the hat and sticks it on this guy. He then gets up, walks back as the plane is about to take off. And what I also love is he drops from the wheel well of the plane like, you would break your leg for sure. Yes. There's no way that you wouldn't break. He, he, he drops into, the into, wheel well, into some swamp land. Into the no swamp land. Into the swamp land. And then just walks. He didn't twist his ankle. Nothing happened. It's marvelous. He didn't rip his clothes. And by nothing. the way, I'm not ripping the movie. I loved it. No, exactly. His clothes were absolutely fine. Dude. And he walks across the runway, and he's avoiding planes like I avoid buses if I'm crossing the uh, street out here. So this whole sequence where, like, he he escapes from the commercial flight before it really takes off, and he goes in, and he, and he connects with this Cindy gal after she has been creepily hit on by Henchman Sully. And he jumps in her. He, he rips out the passenger seat of her car so he can, like, fit in there and lay down because yeah. it's a small car. Yes. And his entire plan. Now, mind you, he has like 11 hours because the bad guys think, the dictator thinks he's on a plane. Yes. So if he doesn't hear from one of his henchmen that they've made it to this island or whatever, he's Mm -hmm. going to kill Arnold's daughter. So Arnold, time is of the essence. Mm -hmm. He's trying to save his daughter. He's He's trying to catch up with the dictator. So he's got this massive hill to climb, right? Yep. And his entire plan hinges on convincing a stranger, Cindy, listen, you've got to listen to me. You're the only chance I've got. If they see me, they're going to kill my daughter. Follow him. Follow that man and tell him you're, tell him you're crazy about him. Let me know where he's going. And she's like, no. I yes. don't do any of these things And then you. she tells the cops. But then the co- <laughs> But then she knocks the cops off because she decides that Sully is a creep, which she... Should have known from the interaction that they had in the, the airport. By the way, too, another great thing, and this is true of this film and so many films of that genre back then. I love the fact that they couldn't actually find like a foreign bad guy. The bad guy, the, the guy who wants to become the dictator. Yeah, he's the bad is, he's the he's a bad guy in like ten different movies. Is Nick Tortelli from Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, you are basically, his name is, it's Dan Hayda, H-E-D-A-Y-A. So, but the 80s were spent being like, okay, let's get a guy who looks slightly ethnic, and he'll affect an accent. He's a little bit tan. Oh, yeah. He yeah, looks like, exactly. He looks, sure looks like he could be it's a like, terrorist It's like, could you not audition people from different <laughs> countries who might have actually, I mean, there's a lot of good actors. Okay, speaking of, next round of category here, uh-huh. your least favorite part about what is an unbelievable movie. And I will preface my least favorite part by saying, and we haven't gotten to our ratings yet. I knew within 30 minutes, this is one of the greatest cinematic experiences of my life. Okay? Oh yeah. Yeah. This hard morning to... was an amazing experience it's, for me. It's I hard just to want to lay that on the film. table. I'm okay? with you on this. Yep. So, but my least favorite part about the movie goes along with what judges said, which is it's almost like they, it's like they formed a cast and then decided what the movie was going to be. All right. We got, so we got Arnold, and then we got uh, this guy from Cheers, and then we got this other guy who's going to play Bennett, okay? Okay, we need Arnold to be the Army Ranger hero guy. Uh, you look tan. Okay, you're going to be the bad guy dictator. All right, well, who's going to play the other uh, main henchman? Uh, that guy with the mustache is going to play Bennett. So 
So Bennett, <laughs> Bennett is is it was apparently on Arnold's old like Army Ranger team or Special Forces he was team mad at, at some him. point. Yes. And and we found out that Arnold booted him from the team. That's, so I don't know. We didn't get any more details other than like oh. Arnold didn't like this guy when they were in the in the military together yep. and booted him from his team. Yep. And he's been seething and stewing on this yes. and eventually got paid $100,000 from the dictator. But he didn't take it. To help kill this president, right? Well, he, he said he didn't take I, it. I thought he was joking. I do it for free. I do it for free if I can get my hand. And he was like, he had some other foreign accent, too. I do it for free if I could get my hands on you. But here's the best part. The whole movie is meant to pit Bennett versus Arnold Schwarzenegger as if they are equals who both have the same army background and the same special forces background. Yep. And that's great. Like, it's going to be this showdown at the end of the movie between these two, like, massive military experienced soldiers, right? Yep. And it works with Arnold because Arnold is chiseled out of granite. Arnold is a real-life superhero in the mid-1980s. Yes. Bennett looks like Freddie Mercury after a holiday food binge, okay? It doesn't doesn't compute. He's got a beer gut. He has no muscle definition. And we're supposed to believe that it's an even matchup knife fight between Bennett and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's, was, the, that's my least favorite part that. about the movie. Welcome, it doesn't make sense. Welcome back, John. <laughs> and I love how he's constantly got that knife that he walks. Oh, welcome back, John. And then early in the you movie, it was scared. I think you're scared. I'll be back, Bennett. Yes. Well, and he, he, first of all, the amount of one liners in this film. Oh, yeah. Dude. And they must have. Okay. So. I'm not trying to make a case here that Schwarzenegger is a thespian, okay? He's he, not a great actor, but they clearly told him, just let it fly. Like, there's no way that those were all scripted. How about when, uh, so early in the movie, he tells Sully, I'm going to kill you This last, is one of my right? favorite lines, yes. And so it comes around, and the, and, the, and the chase scene plays out in the middle of the movie, and and Cindy and Arnold catch up to Sully, yep. and Arnold's trying to get answers out of Sully, and instead he gets... The hotel room key, which is good enough. He's, he'll go find all the travel yeah. information, right? Yes. So he's holding Sully up over the cliffside yep. with one arm. Yep. And he's holding it. He goes, be careful, Sully. This is my bad arm, right? <laughs> but then he goes, Sully, remember when I said I would kill you last? I lied. And, and then he well, drops. And Sully, Sully goes, that's right, Matrix. You did. You did. I lied. I lied. And, and then he gets back to. So, so he has destroyed her car. Because when he turned, he bashed Sully's car until it actually flipped. He then drives into like a big post or something. And by the way, they're both fine, despite the fact that he's going at Not least sixty-five. Yeah. And and her car is destroyed. At which point, she doesn't care about her car, and she's like, "We we don't have a car, or you don't have a car." And he goes and turns Sully's car over, flips it up. And by the way, that car probably destroyed too. But no. Now I do. There, there, well, there was another line between them, too, which was she asks, Cindy asks, hey, what did you do with Sully? Yes. And he goes, I let him go. I, I had to let him go. <laughs> oh, it's just all great. Oh, it's um, so good. My least favorite part, I guess, is is to build off of Phil's point of Bennett being basically me. Um, <laughs> but it's physique-wise. It's, yeah. But the whole island is... Uh, that they're trying to organize this coup on, I guess, because they were going to have Matrix kill the president and then all fly and take over the island or the country that that, uh, the guy from Cheers was trying to get, because I guess he had decided he didn't like the bar anymore. He's also the guy from the hurricane. He's the the racist bad guy in the hurricane. He's been in everything. So anyway, so 
Have you guys ever seen? It's like they found every fat extra on bar stools. Like the guys that Matrix is killing, none of them are in shape. Right. So, so you're talking about like the final showdown scene. I'm right? talking about he kills, and, and in fact, I'd like to go back and watch and document the amount of kills because he must kill forty people, if so not more. I, I'm going to guess that someone on the internet has done this. So let me just. But anyway. As he's going through, it's like, is anybody here a soldier, really? I know. It's like they found every guy on a bar stool or at a restaurant and said, you <laughs> oh know what? God. We're going to put a military outfit on you from this fake place, and you are going to be killed by Schwarzenegger's character. And they're all just like, they can't even fall well. Okay, there is an article on digitalspy.com. Yep. Sounds legit, yeah. It ranks two things. It ranks action movie heroes by how many kills they've had on camera. And then it ranks their movies by how many kills they've had. Commando showed 81 kills by Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) on camera. That's about right. Yeah. Well, he must have killed 40 to 50 on the island alone, right? Oh, it had my to be God. around. My favorite was when he was in the shed and throwing blades into yes. people's foreheads. Oh yeah, yes. he killed he killed two with an axe, and yeah. then he killed two with saw blades. With saw blades, yeah. throwing them like you would throw like you a know, frisbee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that big final showdown where he straps on, he puts on the 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 camouflage paint. The eye, paint, black. The the eye, eye black, black is great. I have to play outfield. The arm black as well. And I he, got it. And he puts on about 200 pounds of ammunition around his body and a rocket launcher and everything. Yes. And he goes on to kill like 500 enemy soldiers. But the best part about that end sequence, so he gets done, he murders half the village. And they're all, by the way, terrible people, right? These are all very bad guys. Yeah, they're out of shape. Although if if I'm that dictator, I might want to go back and reevaluate. Like, I've got an army around me and they can't handle this one guy. (laughs) You know, where do these people go to military school? But he's in the final showdown with Bennett, and he uh, he kills Bennett by throwing a giant lead pipe through his torso. He rips it off and then throws it to him. And then I believe the line was something like, why don't you blow off some steam, Bennett, because there's steam coming out of the, yes. the pipe. Yeah. And meanwhile, Alyssa Milano, his 10-year-old daughter Jenny, is just like up in the rafters watching this entire fight scene, this deadly fight scene play out. This brutal, deadly murder of a <laughs> pipe being shoved through a man's torso, and he's dead. And they cut up to Jenny, the daughter, after the fight scene's over, and she's just got this big smile Yay. on her face. She's not at all tormented. It's over. It's like, what? And then, okay, since we're going down this path, at the end of the movie. So that scene plays out, and then uh, Colonel What's-His-Name comes back and says, I just need you, hey, Arnold, I just need you to assemble your team one more time. Like, man, if you can do this on your own, think about how much you could help. Come, come back to the army and whatever, and make this happen. And he, and he says, no chance. And so he walks toward uh, the puddle jumper plane with his daughter, mm-hmm. and Cindy comes out of the plane. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, Cindy and Arnold literally just met yes. like earlier in the day, right? They they just met like a few hours earlier, and now and I get how they after maybe five or six hours of being in all these near death experiences, but she wasn't with, she wasn't with him. She wasn't with him. She's in the plane. And she's she's never met his daughter. Right. And his daughter's never oh, met Jill Cindy. Milano, yes. Yes. And the daughter walks up and hugs Cindy well, as if they've known each other for 10 years. Like, but they've never met. The other weird thing, too. the other weird thing about the end is so and yeah, it, it's weird that that she hugs the daughter. But here's what's really weird. So so to reach the island, 
Cindy, who had taken flying lessons, but was basically a novice, okay? On Cessnas. On Cessnas. She flew that plane there, and it lands, and they get there, and Schwarzenegger uh, then then gets out the little boat and takes that to the island and kills and 50, his undies. 55 people. And his undies. Yeah. And yeah. his undies. With, with, with. But by the way, baseball eye black. There's no doubt in my mind. It's great. He was dressed like early 2000s John Cena when he pulled up. <laughs> but yes. what But what makes it even better is at the end, so Cindy's with the plane, hugs Jenny and Matrix, and then proceeds to get in the plane and fly it back right. to where? No problem. She can't fly. <laughs> like, and FAA are just going to let her just... Roaming like, through the skies again? That's what, but and like it takes off like she's a veteran pilot by now. Yeah, where do you guys think the three of them, where do you think they wound up like five hours later? Nobody knows. Were they just at like IHOP or it something? Just right. decompressing? You know what? Here's the thing. It mat- This is what I loved about it. The film embraced that it didn't matter. Like nothing had to be tied up. Like I'm not saying that Cindy would have gotten in trouble for flying the plane there, but if you're the army, you're sure as hell going to like take them in the chopper and the fly chopper, them the back. Chopper. The helicopter is going to fly them back, right? But no, they just get in and take off like it's a family cruiser. I yeah. just thought Cindy's character for the 99% of this movie was completely unnecessary. It, like, <laughs> if she wasn't needed in the film outside of the of flying Arnold to the place. Yeah, like, she, she comes... What did she, like, other than kind of flying the plane well, He, he gets danger. arrested... At the after they rob and he takes the uh, oh, that's right. the thing the forklift through the uh, front of what I think is like a sporting goods slash gun store which had rocket launchers in the back and then he gets arrested and so she does use the rocket launcher well backwards backwards but then she turns it around and overturns the right. um, the uh, paddy wagon that Arnold's in to get him out. I think it was a. I think it was like this. There has to be some sexual tension. But they never. But we they really never don't so care. Much as but we really anything. don't. But we really don't. But she hugged Jenny, so we're to assume. I guess she replaced mom. And she. Just, <laughs> but I don't what know. happened to mom? That's what makes it so genius. What, what happened? To we mom? don't. Oh no. Also, no one cares. What was the point of Arnold ripping out that passenger seat? What was the point? So oh, he could say lower. Yeah. What was the point of that? He, he didn't want. He partially. No sense. No, no. He partially didn't want Sully to see him. And so he he he's was trying Arnold to Schwar- be he's like below 300 the thing. pounds. He's, he's Sully noticeable. man was oblivious. Sully was oblivious. Oh, and the scene. Uh-huh. Come on, the scene in the mall. <laughs> we haven't even gotten there yet. The scene in the <laughs> he mall. Takes a wacky floating tube man and all the way down do there. Like he's Schwarzenegger, you'd fall. Wow. And he lifts up the phone uh-huh. booth that Sully's in, and Sully's like shooting, yeah. and then he just stops <laughs> shooting. Over. Amazing. There's two or three other things, too, that we haven't even touched on yet. One of the other great lines in this movie, I eat green berets for breakfast, and right now, I'm very hungry. <laughs> yes. That's with the scene with the guy from, with, with the Cadillac yeah. in the hotel room. I eat green berets for breakfast, and right now, I'm very oh, and, hungry. And the couple, the, the couple having sex in the room that they break into, who just sit there screaming oh. as, as bullets are flying yeah. by them, but take no action to like get out of there okay. is also great. I have questions about that couple. So I think it was supposed to be a prostitute. It had to have been. Yeah. I think it was supposed the, to be the, a, the guy it was a cheap like, hotel. The guy looked like an 80s IT nerd, yeah. and this gal was like, has like the biggest implants you've ever yes. seen in your life. Blonde. Like there's no way but, in the eighties that that guy's. That's my point though. It's like the film. It's like the people who did the film said, we don't have a huge budget. We're paying Arnold all of this cash. We need a couple quick storylines. 
we've got to find Matrix, the Matrix character, some sexual tension, but we're not going to pay that off. And by the way, how can we achieve gratuitous nudity at some point? Okay, here's how. A prostitute and a guy, and they are in their room. Yes, and they're in their room, and Schwarzenegger and the other bad guy come (laughs) flying through literally the wall. Sometimes you outkick your coverage, okay? It happens. Or you just pay a lot of money. A couple other things that stood out. (laughs) Yes. When the henchmen kidnap Arnold's daughter from their secluded house up on the hillside. Yep. And Arnold goes, so they drive away. And there, so there's two cars that are that are driving away, and he sees them driving away you, after he kills one of the guys. Are you going to talk about the truck? The truck. He goes down. He sees that his brakes have been cut on the truck. Yep. And basically says, "I don't care." Gets in the truck <laughs> with yes. no brakes. Yes. Pushes, and I think I want I want to say the truck also may not have even like he the, the engine might have been all shot. The wires. Yep. So, so you it was couldn't shot. He couldn't turn the truck on. Right. And he and, and the truck had no brakes, so he pushes the truck up toward the hill. Right. And just gets in it like yes. like it's a sled, basically. Yes. And just barrels down the hill until he barrels into one of these cars uh-huh. with no brakes, nothing, not a scratch on his body. Just an unbelievable action scene. Can and somehow t- catches on fire. Can we? T- oh, of course. The car oh, just catches on. Got to blow that car up. Here's my question about that entire scene. They show him occasionally in the car or truck as it's careening downhill after hill, and when they show him, he looks almost passed out. So I guess my question was, but when he gets out before it blows up, he's completely fine and just runs out. So my question is, like, shouldn't he have looked a, a little bit more sure of what he was doing as the truck careened down those hills? Because he looked damn near like he was about to pass out. And then, yes, the fact is, in the in the 1980s, if you had a chase scene that was going to end with a car flipping, if you didn't blow that car up at least twice, you weren't worth a damn. God. I mean, Chips did this. You had to blow things up. Yeah. The other thing that stood out. I've got one for you after you're done. I have, yep. I have never seen, up, up until this morning, I had never seen Commando, but I have on five or six occasions for Gopher football tweets have used the row the boat gif. On oh, Twitter. yeah. Where it's oh, going yeah. And I, so I finally put two and two together and found out where that Arnold Schwarzenegger row the boat gif came from. It came from Commando. It's oh, so funny. Fantastic. To, All right. Tie that together. I got one, at least one. How great is the scene where, again, two out-of-shape dudes in the country that they're supposed to uh, overthrow are waiting at the airplane for, for Matrix and his chaperone to come off, okay? So they're waiting there, and, I mean, these guys look like they just downed eight bags of McDonald's or BK or something, okay? So we all know, as viewers, that the guy who was supposed to oversee Matrix is dead. But how great... Is it that they, like they don't show the waitresses on the plane, flight attendants reacting to, oh, my God, this guy's dead. All you see, all you you get again, cutting right to the chase is his body being carried off with a with a blanket over him to, to indicate he's dead. Like he's a piece of luggage <laughs> like nobody. And then the guy and then one of the two guys goes and takes the thing off. And is like, Dang, and it runs right to a payphone. Here's the other great thing. Country yeah, to country. A, a, a lot of this movie revolves around like this movie couldn't happen as easily now because it revolves around the inability for the henchmen to just pick up a phone. Right. And call but, the dictator and say but he, he still, got away. But he still does because because you see him run into a phone booth like Clark Kent. And the next thing is. At the island that the dictator's on, there's this ring, ring. 
So it's like all he had to do was go put like a quarter in? Yeah. Yes. It's just fantastic. <laughs> but I love the fact that they didn't show a reaction of the staff to the fact that this guy was dead. His nose was bleeding profusely at one yeah. point. They just took him off the plane like he was lost luggage. Any other final observations before we get into the last couple of questions here? I I have one more. I got to go through my notes again. All right. And this is more just a general Arnold Schwarzenegger movie observation, and I might be missing some here, but I, I feel like a main theme in Arnold movies is kids in danger. So Commando, kid in danger. Kindergarten cop. Kindergarten cop, kids in danger. Jingle all the way. Kind kids of. in danger. True lies, daughter kidnapped. Yeah. Kids in danger. Yep. So he's, there's always like, it's like him fighting bad guys with like a kid in danger off the side. Could this movie have been an extra 30 minutes? No. No, Shouldn't I think it was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it, an hour and a half, baby. An just... extra 10 would have rubbed me the wrong way. I love the fact that they they basically cut right to the chase and said, this is what you're going to, to get. To me, it was the fast food of action films. It might not have been great, but man, was it satisfying. Yes. And you just crave it sometimes. All right. Definitive bad guy rankings. Wait, wait, wait. I got more notes here. Okay. Observation one. Okay. I swear to God, other than a jingle being adjusted here or there, the music is the exact same that they use on 48 Hours with Nick Nolte and Murphy. Really? I think it's the exact same. That sort of... I can't define the it. The music didn't seem to necessarily fit an action movie. It sort it, of it almost, fit more it, a cop film. Yeah, or like even like a kid's movie or I something. I think they like bought it or something. Okay. The second is... The lines of the security guards in the mall must be discussed. You get, a it's, it's a bunch big of like M- MFers. And you ladies want to go see me kick some ass? Yeah. <laughs> that part was so great. He's flirting with teenage girls. Yeah. No, exactly. Gets, gets a call and says, hey, I need some backup. There's a massive guy over here. You ladies want to see me kick some ass? Well, and then his comment, as Dex just said, is that's oh. one big MFer. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. So good. All right, definitive bad guy <laughs> rankings. So this will be, Declan, you're at a disadvantage here because we've already started to rank. We're, we're collectively ranking where all of these action movie rewind bad guys are. And so the order so far to this point is Cyrus the Virus from uh, Con Air is number one. The angry terrorist Ivan from Air Force One is two on our list of bad guy rankings. The corrupt senator from Hard to Kill is three. Chong Lee, the villain fighter from Bloodsport, is four. Bodie, who is Patrick Swayze from Point Break, is five. And then uh, we have to place here with our sixth action movie rewind, the murdery dictator in Commando. So are we going him or uh, Bennett? It's a good question. Because Bennett is... Who's the main villain in this movie? I think is it's it Bennett. Bennett. I think it's Bennett. Be- because, because the guy who wants, to, who wants Matrix to overthrow the government actually gets killed before Bennett. So I got to be honest, man. Like, the concept of Bennett in the script would be like number one or number two on this ranking. Okay. This is a, a, a former army ranger. He is, his hands are lethal weapons and he has gone rogue to work for dictators and he has lost all sense of morals. He is a crazy psycho on the loose who constantly wields army knives like on paper. Oh my God. Like that guy's got to be number one, number two. And then you see, it looks like, Again, he looks like Freddie Mercury ate Steven Tyler. Yep. And then yeah, is does. in line at a Burger King he or does. something. Yep. I, I don't know if I can put Ben and 
Uh, did Bennett even kill anybody in this movie? Like, he's incompetent. No, and he's chasing Jenny. Like, the whole time the Matrix is killing all of these men, he just chases his daughter. Not, I got I to put daddy. him. <laughs> I got to put him last. I got to put him last. I'm sorry. I haven't seen a lot of those movies, I'll be honest. But I got to imagine he's last. Like, yeah. how would he fare in a fight against any of these other guys? Cyrus the Virus would outsmart him. Yeah. All right. Uh, angry Terrorist Who Ivan from Air Force of our, One. Our list there? Who's at the end? Bodie from Point Break. Bodie was so hard. Be, and, and it's not because he wasn't good. It's because he was hard to dislike and you almost were trying to reform. Yeah. Oh, okay. Chong Lee in Bloodsport. I'm going to use the interpretation of these rankings to do this, okay? Be, because this, his script, Bennett's script was great. Like, welcome back, John. Absolutely. I mean, there's great lines. I'll do it for free. I do, yeah. I mean, he's, I love the knife that he constantly is caressing his palm with, but not cutting himself. There's so much about his character. I am going to put him, and I'll explain why quickly. I'm going to put him above Bodie, second to last, because the thing with Bodie is I liked him a lot. I mean, he's, if, if he had been a bad guy, because Swayze's great. If he had been a true bad guy, he'd be way up that list. But the reality was, by the end of Point Break, I was just like, go everybody. I love this film. So I'm going to put Bennett above Bodie, just based on the fact that he truly was a bad guy. But definitely deducting points for, for the fact that he spent the week before that at a um, at several fast food restaurants. Yeah. So you're putting him above Bodie. I'm putting him above Bodie, not, but I'm doing it because Bodie, to me, was okay. not a bad guy. I can get with you on that one. Okay, we'll put Bodie. So- Bodie was a, was a wonderful guy. character, but just was kind of like a tweener. He was kind of a, he's like Stone Cold Steve Austin. By the end in the of 90s. that film, do you hate him? No, you. I, you I, I like him. For him. Yeah, I empathize with him. Trying to go uh, go on the strip. All right, we'll put him fifth. Before we get to our official rankings, our one through ten uh, Seagull scale, I do want to give you guys more of this article from DigitalSpy.com. Good. These are the definitive statistical rankings of action movie heroes based on how many kills they have on screen, okay? Arnold Schwarzenegger is number one with 312 career kills. 81 in Commando, 44 in Total Recall, 51 in True Lies, 25 in Predator, and 29 in Eraser. Who do you think is number two on this list? Seagal? No. Not Seagal. No, I, okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to give you a hint, okay? Well, wait, oh, no, no, okay, no. Okay. I'll go without a, a hint. And, <laughs> wow. And I'm, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, because I, I think a lot of people listening to this right now probably say Bruce Willis because he's killed a ton of people. Oh, that's a good guess. But I'm going to go with pure kill rate, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone is third. Hmm. Okay, because John Rambo. Stallone is 227 career kills. John, John Rambo <laughs> is. Kills. John Rambo is prolific, you guys. Like I mean, pro football dude, reference. it's watch well, Rambo. They, they cheated. They had so many Rambo movies, though. So he had 87 kills in the 2008 Rambo reboot, 72 kills in Rambo 3, 51 kills in Rambo 2. How many in one? Uh, it's not on his top five list of kills. That's BS. Okay, <laughs> that list is crap. He's got apparently John he has more, killed he has more a lot killed. of people. He had eleven in Tango and Cash and twenty five in Demolition Man. So All you're right. saying that John Rambo's first movie not on that list? Well, it, no, it's on the list. It's just not. He apparently didn't kill. Well, that's crap. He didn't kill. He was more mowing than, down a forest full of people. Well, they did put the original Rambo, but they had two thousand eight on here, so maybe they substituted that one I for the. I don't, don't know. like this list. Anyway. Okay, I'll give you one hint for who's number two on this list. All right, 
He's he's not someone you he's not necessarily who you would think of as an action movie hero. In fact, his most noteworthy role in a movie, he only killed one person as a villain with his hands. Had gloves on his hands. Dick. Dolph Dolph Lundgren is number two on this list. His most what? famous kill is Apollo Creed in Rocky IV. Yeah. I'd say that's Rocky. Yeah. His five most bloodthirsty films: The Punisher with fifty four kills. Bridge of Dragons with 51, Red Scorpion with 38, Sweepers with 36, and Showdown in Little Tokyo with 27. I demand a recount. Clint, got Clint Eastwood is fourth on this list with yeah. 185 kills. Like That's that. legit. Yeah. Nick Cage is fifth with 79 kills. Ooh. Half of them coming in Bangkok Dangerous in I, 2008. I can't stand Cage. I'm with Declan on this. I'm, that's a bunch of BS. Let's see here. There's more. Scroll to read next. Oh, no, that's it. They're just giving you the top five. If we're going to so, do top five villains, and I don't know if we can quantify this in action movie rewind, but can we do top five sleaze bags? Like, Sully is a sleaze Sully's bag. Sully's in there for sure. You Sully's know? great. Like, there's usually, and there's usually someone like that who's just a sleaze ball and just a horrible individual. I don't know if we can quantify it. Yeah, there's another one. We'll, we'll do True Lies at some point. There's the True Lies guy who pretends that he's like an FBI agent or something and tries to get with Jamie Lee Curtis and he's got a mustache. It's like there's always a little bit of a weasel. True Lies is, is a classic. I do enjoy True Lies. All right. Commando on a scale of one to ten Seagulls. How many Seagulls are you giving Commando? Declan, you want to go yeah, first? Yeah, I'll go first. Go ahead. I'll give that a, I'll give it an eight. I'm not even a big action movie rewind action movie guy as much as you guys are. I'm interested in, in getting more into them. So I, 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 I'm willing to learn more. Learn. But this was... <laughs> This was captivating from the start, and it was actually hilarious. There was moments where I legitimately was laughing out loud. And it's cheesy, but it was, it was amazing. So I'd say 8 out of 10. Judd? I, I believe I did this with um, Hard to Kill, and I will do this again because, again, th- this meets everything I'm looking for for the most part, and I'm giving it 10 cigars. Yeah. It's just marvelous. I mean, it's, it's, I love the fact that they dismiss storylines. I love the, the fact that they insist on on a female character, but they do nothing with her, really. I mean, this is just perfect. <laughs> I got to say. It's like a no-hitter. Uh-oh. I'm with Judd on this. It's a 10, man. Wow. It is 10 Seagulls. This is, I think, every great action movie has to have some cheese ball to it. Yeah. I think length is important. I don't think you can be going two-plus hours. You know, don't drag it out. You know, we, don't need, we don't need too much storyline, okay? Right. I think the fact that they left out very important parts of the storyline, I think that I think that feeds Helps. into my ten rating. And yeah. the start, is, care, who cares who who the mom of yeah, Alyssa Milano is? And the start, which we like, we did I miss it? Like they didn't ever explain. No, they never explained that right? they don't care. And but I mean, how great is the start? I mean, the guy's like his wife's like they moved garbage day, and he's like, oh, that's right. And he like hustles down. I'm glad I caught you guys. <laughs> and yeah, it's just great. In like suburban area where oh, I know everyone had to have heard all those shots. And they killed them too. Those, I don't know that that they had to kill them, but the fact that they killed them all quickly, so like it wasn't this buildup of kill, buildup of kill. It was just, it was basically like the red zone channel of kills. So it's like <laughs> amazing. <laughs> let's go to garbage day. Now let's go to boat guy. Now let's go to guy selling car. Yes. All right. It is time Ten. to pick our movie for next week, and I believe the ball is in my court. So, because you pick Commando, that'll be you, and then Declan. So I'll go, and then you'll oh, pick sweet. one for next week. Okay. But for for next Friday, gentlemen and the audience, if you're if you're listening, we would love for you to watch these movies with us in advance, and then listen along with us on Fridays during this action movie rewind. Send your thoughts. Next week, yes, we go back to one of the top five action movie 
kill statisticians of all time. <laughs> We're going back to the Nicolas Cage well here. The analytics. Okay. The Rock is our movie for next week, gentlemen. With Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, okay. and a vacant Alcatraz Island. Let's do this. I don't think I've seen The Rock, so this is oh, exciting. Oh, my God. You want to talk about cheesy dialogue. Kind of some similar themes. I won't spoil it for you, but uh, a lot of like a lot of commando themes that lead to the formation of the henchman circle. The Rock next week on Action Movie. Can't wait. All right. And what year is that? I'm looking it up right I now. I want to say like 1996 or something. It's just a sweet spot right there, right? It's like right in the middle of the mid-90s run. June, it's like release, Nicholas peak Nicholas Cage. Good. Released June 7th of 96. Okay. All right. So, all right. That's a wrap on this episode of Mackie and Judd. Don't forget, you can also find daily Vikings discussions on our Purple Daily channel and YouTube.com slash Score North as well. Action Movie Rewind. What a gem. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plug Door Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players. That is, until they don't. When it comes to finger pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point the finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.